what I see oftentimes when I go into an organization or a company is executives who are at each other's throats and they are, you know, this one, this guy is too domineering. This woman is micromanaging. This one is too quiet. They won't, you know, bring their voice forward. This one is always a people pleaser over here. And there's this kind of vilification that happens of each other and we dehumanize each other. And what the Enneagram says is take a step back, people, and, and just assume innocence here. Imagine if every single one of the people you're working with is a whole human being that is wired the way they are wired for a very good reason. everyone and welcome to conversations with bacon it's wonderful to have you here as usual go and check out my brand new book people powered how communities can supercharge your business brand and teams it's available in all good bookshops and probably some really bad bookshops as well so anyway what's more important than that book is my guest today i'm really thrilled to bring on Catherine gray how are you doing Catherine? i'm doing great thanks jano yeah, well, I'm, I'm so thrilled to have you on here because we're going to be talking about personality tests and coaching and all of this really cool stuff that I know my listeners are going to really get a kick out of. But before we do that, I want to get into the rap sheet. Now, um, you studied at Brown University. You've got a Bachelor of Arts in English and Journalism. But from what I can tell, you didn't really go down that route. <laughs> I did very- not. <laughs> into the, uh, into the, kind of the coaching, the business development uh, route. You were executive director at the, at the Natural Step. Uh, you then went on to be a principal at Big Bang Strategy, where you were focusing on designing and delivering strategy and culture change programs. And I can see like some of the genesis of of what you're doing right now. And then now you are a a partner at the Trium Group, Trium Group, Trium Group. How do you pronounce that? <laughs> Trium, you got it. Yeah. That one. Okay, that sounds great. And what you do there is, you know, you're working with client engagement, understanding clients' needs, shaping the right solutions and coaching people and all kinds of really, really cool stuff. Now, I got connected to you um, through a mutual friend uh, and you are coaching that mutual friend. And um, and that's when I started learning about this notion of an Enneagram, which is a, a personality test, if you will. And to be honest with you, the first time I heard about this, the first thing that struck me was, is this going to be one of those ridiculous BuzzFeed style things that you click on buttons on, and then it tells you whether you are a, you know, whether you're a wombat or a kangaroo or something along those lines. And I've done these kinds of personality tests in the past with previous companies, and you've got like this quadrant of four different personality types. But why don't you give us a bit of background around the tests that you've worked on, like uh, with the Enneagram as an example, and what the purpose of it is? Yeah, of course. So I have to be honest with you, I had the exact same reaction when I first heard about the Enneagram. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's an awful name. It immediately brought up for me, like, what is this? Some woo-woo, pentagram, Enneagram, like, what is this thing? <laughs> and I had an instant allergic reaction. I was like, there's no way. So one thing about me is, you know, I'm... I'm open. I'm open. I'll go to the outer edges of many different interesting areas and bodies of knowledge. And I'm also really practical feet on the ground. And so when I heard it, I thought, "Mm, probably not for me. And however, um, you know, it's always good to be surprised in life. I, um, you know, as you, as you mentioned, I started doing a lot of executive coaching um, and I just love it. It's like one of my favorite things to do. And, um, And as part of that work, 
normally there's some sort of intake and someone wants to get a sense of their, the way they're wired. And so if you go out there, there are a gazillion different personality tests and there's everything from like Myers-Briggs to the four, the disc system to their color systems. And I always hated them because I felt like it painted people into a box and said, this is your type and you're always this type. And then I came across the Enneagram and I was like, wow, there is a lot more here than I ever expected. And the thing I love about it and why it's different is that it doesn't put you in a box. It actually is a really beautiful developmental tool. And instead of measuring behavior, saying, okay, well, you're an introvert and you tend to be dominant or submissive, whatever it is, it will say, why are you behaving that way? It gets underneath the motivation of why a person, why a leader shows up the way they show up. And that's where the conversation really begins. Yeah, what I found so interesting about this, so, you know, just just for our listeners, uh, when when I went and did this, and, and, and you very generously offered to do this, Catherine, I appreciate <laughs> that again. Um, and I was, I, was, I was a little skeptical, but I was quite excited to do it because I've never really done, I haven't done this for a while, like mm-hmm. one of these tests. And I went to this website and you, you answer approximately 1 million questions in this web, <laughs> on this website. And uh, what was interesting is as you're answering the questions, clearly the new questions that are being asked of you are changing based yes. upon some of the things that you're typing in. Um, and I genuinely tried to be as honest as I could be um, because like, what's the point of lying to these things? <laughs> right? yeah, Cause the, yeah. the whole point is to understand yourself. And then what happened is that it you sent over this incredibly detailed report and it talks about these these um nine enneagram styles from one to nine you know strict perfectionist considerate helper competitive achiever intense creative quiet specialist loyal skeptic enthusiastic visionary and active controller and adaptive uh, peacemaker can you just give us a bit uh, you you kind of fit into what's interesting to me is that you fit into primarily one of those buckets, but then it's connected to other buckets as well. So I, for example, was primarily highlighted as a two, which is uh, a considerate helper, but then it was also closely connected to an eight and a four. So for me, it was an intense creative and an active controller. Um, Can you explain a little bit about how this breaks down into these different into these different styles? Yeah. So, so first of all, to just say the Enneagram um, is an open source personality assessment, which I love about it. So it's, you can go back and it's been there forever. And, um, but it wasn't until the 1960s in Berkeley that a group of behavioral psychologists said, Hey, there's something here. And they put behavioral psychology against it. And it began to look at um, nine different personality types, classified people, not these nine types that you just referred to. And, um, the, the school of thought is that you predominantly come out of one type. It's your core motivation. It's how you go through the world. However, all nine types are available to all of us. And as you mature and develop as a human being, you start being in choice more about how you access all nine rather than just the one you predominantly come out of. Yeah. So... Um, And then with each type, you have a predominant type on either side of you is a personality type that is very accessible to you. And you can lean into and and pull forward uh, as you grow and develop and want to look at how you're you're showing up in the world. So would it it be helpful for me to go through the nine types? Is that, would that be helpful? Yeah, let's, why do you give us like, maybe just like a a one sentence overview of, if that's possible, of each of these? Because I think, I think people will be quite interested in how those, how, how those types are broken down. And I'll tell you what, lovely listeners, as we're going through this, think to yourself about which one of these or which couple of these most maps to you. All right. All right. Go on. 
And you'll probably you'll probably know it because it'll be the one that makes you cringe the most. So here we go. <laughs> okay. So right. the first type, number one, is often called the perfectionist. Uh, these people are motivated by doing the right thing. You know these folks because their soft drawers are organized. They have their daily planner out. They're committed to excellence. They're champions of the good. Heavy inner critics, highly critical of themselves, high standards for others, and there is a right way to do things. That is, that's the number one. That's the perfectionist. And, and with every Enneagram type, I should say, there are beautiful strengths and attributes. There are also blind spots. Um, so that's the perfectionist, number one. Number two, and was the one you, Jono, came strongest in, is the considerate helper. These people, they're motivated by being loved and being liked and being included. They are, uh, they are magnanimous. They are loving. They are kind. They are patient. They're incredibly empathetic. They can walk into a room. They'll sense and feel exactly what's going on, what people oh, are Oh, keep feeling. talking, Catherine. Keep talking. I'm loving this. <laughs> they're, uh, <laughs> they're very, very focused on others and helping people. Um, they can overgive, overextend, and, and then they can get a little resentful and a little bit of giving to get like, Hey, I've done all this for you. And why aren't you appreciating me? And they can get kind of trapped in that and they can have a hard time setting boundaries, but their primary motivation is to like help, to give, to, to give to others. They're externally focused, really beautiful, beautiful people to be around. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Number three. These folks are often called the competitive achievers. They are in it to win. They are motivated by success, by outshining others, by you you give them anything and they'll rise to the top quickly. Amazing capacity. They are, um, they're fast, they're efficient, they're incredibly competitive. They, uh, failure is just not an option. They can be almost chameleon-like, like they'll walk into a, a room or an environment and they'll figure immediately, how do I adapt to succeed here? Very high standards for self. They can be a little bit of lone wolves, like go it alone, and um, and they're not not so comfortable in the emotional realms. They want it's it's inefficient for them. They want to just move forward and knock things down and get things just done. Do 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 right. Do do, and they're yeah. constantly going through the world, kind of comparing themselves to others. Oh, is that person better than me? Am I, you know, am I better than them? There's that going on for them a lot as they move through the world. So that's the three. Four. Um, I let you guys know that I am this type. Four is the intense creative, so I know it well. Uh, we are motivated by being special, unique. And so fours are the deep divers. We're the ones who want, you know, we're highly intuitive, love to go into the deep emotional wa- waters. We're artists, you know, tragic romantics, incredibly sensitive, intuitive. We're intense. You can ask my husband, very intense. We're meaning makers. Everything is beautiful. I can walk down the street and see a can on the side of the road, and I will tell you exactly why that is the most beautiful thing you've ever witnessed in your whole life. But we walk around a little bit feeling like something's missing. We're always, there's a little melancholy. There's a little bit of, um, oh, if only. And and so we have this bizarre tension of feeling special and unique, and I'm other than. I'm not like, like, for example, I live in a houseboat, right? I don't live in a normal house. So there's something special, but I also feel like something's missing. So it's this kind of angst fours can walk around with. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fives are the quiet specialists. These are the academics. These folks are motivated to getting to the bottom of things. They want to understand. They can be a little bit more introverted. They're perceptive. They're curious. They're self-contained. They can be a little aloof. 
They're always thinking about their resources, their energy, and how to conserve it, how to maximize it. They're in their minds. They love data. They love to become subject matter experts in, in things. No kind of skimming the surface. They like to go deep. They want to understand the world, understand everything around them. And they can be a little socially awkward, get a little drained at social events, um, and they love data. They're the folks on your team that they want to, They want all the numbers to line up. I know a lot of those people. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of those people. Me too. They're fantastic to have on a team. Um, okay, six. This is this personality type is the loyal skeptic. It's exactly these folks are very um, much what the the title says. They are incredibly loyal. They're one of the best friends that will go to the end of the earth with you, but they have one eyebrow up in the air. They're always looking for what could go wrong here. They're motivated by, I need to be safe. I need to be long. So they're, they're looking for like, what, you know, what, what might happen that could really harm everyone that I love. They, they want, um, they're reliable, they're careful, they're critical. They're the person on the team that you'll present something and you'll think, oh, this is so great. And they'll raise their hand and they'll tell you the 10 reasons why it's not going to work. And what people misunderstand is they're actually coming out of this deep loyalty of wanting it to succeed, but they can be perceived as kind of dragging things down because they're hypercritical, but it's coming out of a very loyal place. These guys can also be a little anxious because they're looking, they're scouring the corners, worst case scenario, um, but phenomenal partners, people on teams, and they will make sure that nothing happens that endangers the group or the team or the project. Yep. Okay. Rounding the corner, we go to number seven. These, this is one of the biggest personality types on the wheel. These are the enthusiastic visionaries, often called the epicures. And if I remember right, you have a big dose of this in you, Jono. These folks are experienced at all, avoid pain at all costs, have fun, and do not be bored. Being bored or trapped is like death to a seven. They're charismatic. They, they love freedom. They're constantly in the future. They're mildly interested in what's happening in the moment. They do not want to dwell on the past. They want to go, what's next? What, what are we on to next? They fear of missing out. This is my husband. We'll go out for dinner and I'm ready to go back to bed. And he'll say to me, what's next? Are we going for a drink? Or are we going to go see a movie? Well, before COVID, this is what would happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they get bored with mundane routines. They, um, they like 20 balls in the air. And where they can get caught is they can drop balls. They get overextended. They, unlike the fives that are the deep divers, the academic sevens like to skim the top and have a blast doing it. And um, and they don't they don't like the deeper emotional waters where they have to feel anything close to grief or pain. That that is just not comfortable for them. Um, and they're a ton of fun to be around. Eight, eight, often called the boss. These folks are um, motivated by being in control and, and, and really having power. They physically show up. They're strong. When they walk, you see them coming. They're protectors. They're providers. They're that person you turn to who are like, they're the rock. They're deeply instinctual, not in their heads. They're, they're, they go from their gut. They, um, they're, they protect the tribe, very, very protective of their tribe. They're action-oriented, getting things done in the world. They can be a bit of a bull in a china shop. They um, they don't like vulnerability. They um, they can be a little controlling and you know brutal. Oftentimes is a word you'll hear around an ape because honesty without kindness is brutality. And sometimes they miss that and they just say what's on their mind. There's no filter, and people are sort of blown back by them because they're a force. They're they'll get you 
to the top of the mountain, no question about it. They're super strong. That's eight, the boss. And finally, at the very top of the wheel is nine. And these folks are often called the diplomat or the adaptive peacemakers. And they are motivated by balance and keep the peace. I, I often think of them as like calm, calm lakes. Unlike the eight that I just described, who no problem, they'll jump in the middle of conflict. Nines hate conflict. They want things peaceful around them. They're, Just avoid it at all costs kind of thing. Avoid it. They don't. Conflict avoidant. They like harmony. They like interconnectedness. They can see multiple sides of things. Amazing negotiators. Amazing amazing bridge builders. Um, they enjoy the details. They like structure. They like comfort. Coziness is a nine. They're just what you you get around them and your whole nervous system drops down because they're they're calm they're peaceful um and where they can get caught is they can merge with others because they can feel the other person's point of view and they lose themselves and they often have a hard time making a decision what do you want for dinner i don't care what do you want what you know and trying to bridge between two people what they want for dinner and they can forget what they need a lot and um and over oriented the other so those, in a nutshell, are the nine it's fascinating. Types. It's yeah. so interesting. And I'm sure that as people were listening, you, thank you, by the way, for doing that. And that was, I love the way, I love your passion for this, by the way. Catherine. I just think it's, <laughs> you, you can't talk about this subject and not be excited about it. It's just really interesting. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, one of the things I found really interesting when, when you did this for me and, um, you know, my main, the main one that came out for me was the two, which was this considerate mm -hmm. helper. Um, mm. which is the giving, but also needs a level of affirmation. And I can totally see that in myself. But what I found really fascinating was that these two, I think you call them the wings or something like, I, I forget the technical yeah. term for the, for the other two. Yeah. Um, I was a, a four, which is an intense creative and, a, and an eight, which is an active uh, controller. And what I found kind of interesting is that the eight, which is that kind of like very kind of dominant in your face noticeable kind of you mentioned the boss to me seems like a contradiction to the two which is the considerate helper so what is the relationship between these because i remember when i saw that i thought how can that be possible how can i be a considerate helper and kind of this you know st <laughs> straight spined you know stomping around boss that's an eight yes so okay so what you're actually referring to john is not the wings you're referring to and this is why I love this tool because it's a developmental tool. So you as a two, you named it. Twos are, mag they give, they give, they're kind, they're loving. I imagine you're, you know, incredibly thoughtful about your wife and the people you work with and you'll bring She's all right. I've had better. I've had, I've had, yeah, she, she's, a great, she, she's a great first wife. <laughs> she's never going to listen to this podcast. That's why I can say things like this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, great. So, um, so, um, so your two, there are two places on the wheel of the Enneagram nine types that are real allies for you. And you just name them there. And then you'll see, if you ever look at the Enneagram, you'll see there are lines that go from your main type to other types. And you just named your line. So your line, the two will go to the eight or the four. And one line is where you'll go under stress, and the other line is where you go for growth. Um, and oh, you know, that's right. Now I right. remember. Yeah. So, so just so, unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just take you for example. So your lines two goes to eight, and eight is the boss. So 
here's what happens with two when they're stressed. They give, they give, they give, they're so kind, they're so wonderful, and then bam, they snap. They don't feel appreciated. They've given too much. They're wondering why no one's thanking them for this. And they move stress, boom, into the eight, which is the boss. Now, the nostrils might flare. They might get a little bit stubborn. They might, you know, kind of flare up. And it surprises people because twos are so kind and patient. Do you experience that? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Because there's times, for example, when I'm working with people and I'm I'm a pretty, it doesn't take a lot to get me rattled. But what sometimes happens is if I feel like somebody is, they're not, frankly, they're not working hard enough or they're not, they're not, they're not doing the work well enough or something along those lines. Um, I'll sometimes have just a moment of like, what are you doing? Like, and, and I justify it to my, to, in my mind as tough love. Yes. It's not, it's, it's never aggressive. Maybe this is the reason why falling down with Michael Douglas is one of my favorite movies. Uh, <laughs> But that's what tends to happen. It's 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 never it's never um, kind of um, impolite or, or or offensive or anything like that. But it, often, sometimes people were like, "Whoa, okay," yeah. Because I think I'm pretty amenable a lot of, without turning this all into me. I think I'm pretty amenable and very kind of collaborative most of the time. But then sometimes I'll and I'll usually prefix it or, or you know, um, kind of kind of warn them and essentially say, "Look, I'm just going to be completely honest with you." And I'm I'll often say, "Like I'm saying this as a friend." You know, like you got to pull your finger out. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And, and it can take people, it's, it's almost, it's a big swing from sort of a place you normally come out of. So that's where you might go. That's a line. You, You will go to an eight. Now, when you're at rest or when you're in your more sort of centered self, what the Enneagram says is look across to the four, and the force of the four is my type. So for twos, because you guys tend to give so much and externally focus, sometimes it can be hard to locate your own needs, your own emotions. So have you ever had the experience, John, of someone saying like, you know, um, how are you feeling right now? Or um, what do you need? And it's hard. It's almost like a black hole. Like I, I can't quite tap it. Do you ever feel that? Sometimes. I mean, I think what what's been interesting is if, if, if people ask me about myself, I'm usually very, very open about it. Uh-huh. Um, but it doesn't happen all that often. Yeah. Um, I find myself asking about other people a lot more than people asking about me and I'm not upset by that. Yeah. Um, so can I, I just bring I, something up? Yeah. You, um, you do a podcast where you get to interview everyone, but how often do you actually get interviewed? That's a classic, too, right? Classic. <laughs> That's a good point. Right. You're so curious, but everyone else and pulling with drawing them out. But if it gets flipped, twos have a harder time. They don't like it as much as yeah. As, does that from a familiar? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, one question within that is when people are opening up, and I think this mm-hmm. is just not just within my test, but also just more broadly. I think there are there are certain un, there are certain parts of the human psychology or our own personal experiences that I think people feel uncomfortable talking about, right? Certain topics, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and do you, have you found within this that um, the, the understanding of your of your of your of your numbers here, right? Mm-hmm. I forget the technical mm-hmm. term, the, uh, mm-hmm. the the styles, the types, um, yeah. the types. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that it makes people more open to talking about these kinds of things? So I'll give you an, I'll give you an example just for me is for a long time, I knew I experienced anxiety from time to time, but I never admitted that to anybody. 
Um, and I don't suffer from anxiety uh, as a general rule, but there are times when the world piles up and then I do what a lot of people do. And it's like, nothing is right at that point. Like I suck as a consultant. I'm a terrible husband. You know, I'm, I'm a horrible father. We should probably eBay the child and just <laughs> give him a better life. Um, um, but I've found that like in thinking about this more, that those darker elements of our, of our psyche that we don't want to confront when you know that this is your personality, it's easier to go down that road. And have you found that that's been, maybe that's part of the reason why you do this when you're coaching people is it opens up the door to those kinds of, those, those tougher topics for people to admit to themselves, let alone talk to other people about. Yeah, totally. I, you know, you're right on. And this is why um, I love this tool because, you know, I've been doing executive coaching for decades and <clears throat> What I see oftentimes when I go into an organization or a company is executives who are at each other's throats and they are, you know, this one, this guy is too domineering. This woman is micromanaging. This one is too quiet. They won't, you know, bring their voice forward. This one is always a people pleaser over here. And there's this kind of vilification that happens of each other and we dehumanize each other. And what the Enneagram says is take a step back, people. Be, and, and just assume innocence here. Imagine if every single one of the people you're working with is a whole human being that is wired the way they are wired for a very good reason. And once you take that perspective and, and you start introducing this tool to folks, people start saying like, okay, now I understand why I'm anxious you know, I understand that my need to control is actually coming out of a good place of protection or my, I'm anxious because, you know, I'm always looking around for what could go wrong here, or I'm trying to make sure everyone is happy here. And that's why I'm exhausted. I'm not lazy. And so the Enneagram gets at like, really, why are you wired? And why are you behaving the way you're behaving in a way that is not vilifying humans? And once people get it and they get it for themselves, they can relax and go, okay, I see why I'm this way. And now right. I can be in choice around it. And I can see like, okay, if I'm an eight and I'm a bull in the China shop and I'm in the middle of, you know, really coming on strong with someone, I can just have a moment and go, wow, I'm really overextending into my eight right now. Let me see if I can pull that back. And so it becomes an incredible self-management tool as well. And a, and a tool of compassion tool of compassion. Um, so, and that's, that's where, super, yeah, yeah, I find it so helpful in the, the coaching, you know, really helpful. That's super interesting. It reminds me a lot of, um, of, of people talking about stoicism. You know, I remember I've talked about this a whole bunch on this podcast and, and in some other bits and pieces that I've done where, um, you know, years ago when I was going through a bit of a tough time just at work, you know, I was struggling with, uh, uh, another member of a company I work with who was very, very difficult to work with and actually ended up getting fired um, because of her attitude. Um, and I was like, I'd never really experienced something like that before and did some reading into the, this and read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it talks about this notion of stoicism where you're effectively able to um, train your brain to look at challenges through a very objective lens. And the way I've talked about this previously is, for example, if you go into a meeting with a, with a boss or a colleague and um, they start heaping a load of criticism onto you, um, the natural feeling that a lot of people have is that coiled spring and they feel their wrist, their, their palms getting wet and they start sweating and, and some people will get angry and frustrated and often they'll react. And then they go home 
they crack open a beer and they think, why did I do that? Why did I react that way? Why did I, why do, why did I respond that way? And stoicism basically says that, you know, there's a separate little voice in your head that is always saying like, how do I want to react to this situation? How do I want to manage this outcome? Um, and I found that a really helpful kind of philosophical tool um, to kind of build strength. And one of the things that re- I really noticed about the Enneagram is this is like a jetpack for stoicism because it gives you insight into like the the makeup of your personality. Um, and, it, and, and it enables you, I think, if you've got an attitude where you're like, where you're interested in not necessarily a load of like walking on hot, hot coals, self-help nonsense, but just more about understanding you and your drivers and what's within and not within your control it seems like understanding these pieces is just a really profoundly useful way to make change and and grow, right? Yeah, you are so on it. It's like, you know, freedom is on the other side of really becoming aware of your unconscious behaviors and mindsets and wiring. And if you can look at it objectively, then it doesn't own you, you own it, and you're in choice around it. And and that's the really powerful thing with humans and with leaders. You know, it's it's like life life is going to happen to you, all of it, the good, the bad, the unexpected. I mean, my God, look where we are right now. And the thing you have choice over is how you interpret it, how you meet it, how you react. Um, and the you know, in my work, what I see is that's really it. It's as simple and profound as that. Like, how do you? How do you gain self-mastery and self-understanding so that you can meet this wild world in full choice and not be in reactivity, but really coming out of uh, clarity and consciousness and power and choice about who you are and how you show up? And that's available to all of us, all of us. That's so that's so powerful. And what I what I also loved about the Enneagram as well is, you know, it doesn't just give you this number. Right, it t- it goes into stress and strain profiles. So you know, mine, I, I was m- the maximum score for happiness, which I was not massively surprised by because I'm a I'm an offensively happy individual. Uh-huh. <laughs> Frankly, I'm just a, I'm very fortunate in that regard, you know. Um, but also, it, it talks through things like your inter- in- interaction styles. Um, like I was, I rated more on the compliance side, but there's also assertive, which I rated quite high on. And I was not so much on the withdrawn side. Another section here is conflict styles. Uh, you know, when I don't get what I want and I rated very highly on positive outlook, but the other options are competency uh, and reactive, yeah, uh, which I was about the same on, but much lower. Reality distortion, I thought was interesting. I actually want to ask you about this because there are two options here. One is faking bad and one is faking good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I scored, there was zero for faking bad, but I scored 87 for faking good. What does <laughs> what does reality distortion mean? I forget, you told me this, but I forgot. Yeah. So what you're referring to is it's a much more detailed Enneagram uh, report. Not all, if your listeners take the Enneagram test online, they won't all get this. Um, and oh, I can so this is you, the pro one. This is the pro one. You got the pro oh, one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And you actually, should feel jealous, listeners. <laughs> real jealous. Okay. Sorry, carry actually, on. that is a bit of a cheat sheet for me. So as if I were coaching you, what that told me is, okay, how likely is Jono to fake bad? Meaning if I say, hey, Jono, how's it going right now? 
you'll tell me, oh, it's horrible, Catherine, the sky is falling, and you'll fake, and you'll pretend it's like actually worse than it really is. Oh, I see. Right. Versus fake good, which makes sense with your personality type, because twos tend to, you know, want to kind of deflect, like everything's fine. Uh, very common, you'll ask it to, how are you? I'm good. Everything's great. No problem. Um, so what that tells me is 87% of the time, I'm going to have to dig deeper with you to really get you to drop down in and say, really, Jono, how are you? And so that's yeah. a bit, that's a bit I of believe a, that. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. That's, that sounds true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I just want to say that, um, you know, for anyone who's interested in the Enneagram, you'll, you can go online and you'll see it's an open source personality um, assessment, which is pretty cool. And so you'll see a bunch of different tests and groups and, um, and most of the tests will give you just your personality, your main core personality type, and then talk about the wings, the numbers on either side of you that are, are a big part of your personality. Um, the test you took, Jono, is much, is much more sophisticated. And so um, that, yeah. So you're, you got to cough up some, got to cough up some money, people, for this one. Uh, <laughs> if you, but you got to invest in yourself. <laughs> so, wait, let's look, switching gears a little bit. I mean, I, I think this is super fascinating. Um, now, when you're working with, you know, you do a lot of executive coaching, um, but also I can just imagine somebody goes and and does an enneagram and they get the results, and then the next logical question is, okay, what next? Like, what do I do next? How would you ordinarily guide someone, whether it's a coach or just someone who you know, well, when they've been through this, for how they can take that information and they can they can find an outcome? And I know this is obviously going to vary tremendously depending on what number you are, what type you are. Um, but what kind of general guidance do you do you put in in place? Well, you mean when someone takes a test, where they go from there? Yeah, like once they've got the results, and then and then they're thinking, okay, I've got this information now. What do I do with this to you know, improve my, like improve my outcome or, you know, what changes do I make in my life based upon what I'm seeing here? Do you recommend that people, you know, evaluate this and put certain time in their calendar each day to make productive changes? Do you think they should put together like task lists of things to do or just in general, how should people react? Like what should they do next once they get the results? Yeah. So I like to think of the Enneagram almost as you've been given a blueprint. And the blueprint is a deeper understanding of who you are and how you're wired. So the first thing I would say is, you know, go deep, go and look at, look at your type. There's a lot out there that you can um, dive into. And there's actually a new book out called The Honest Enneagram by Sarah Jane Case, I think. That's excellent. And so I'd say go deeper because it's multi-multi-layered and we're just skimming the surface here. So that's the first thing. Um, the second is then, you know, as a blueprint, as a backdrop to who you are, the question really is, what would, what are you up against right now? Where are you either, you know, really excited about moving into a new way of showing up at work or with your family or in your life, or where are you experiencing a lot of pain because of the way you're showing up? And then you can use the Enneagram to help you both understand why you might be experiencing something, but also as a way out or through or toward something new and a different way of showing up. As I said in the beginning, all nine types are available. So for example, let me give you an example. So I'm a four. I can get super lost eventually in everything I'm intuiting and feeling and I'm lost in my dreams. I'm high creative, right? So I've got an idea for a book, for example, and I could be in my bathtub for the next six years thinking about that book and all the beautiful ways I'm going to talk about it. 
And if I'm not aware that I can get in that trap of being in sort of the fantasy of the book and not get into action, then it will never happen. So I can then think about the Enneagram and say, okay, Kath, get your eight on, reach across and get some of your eight going, which is up and out into the world manifesting and get some one, which is the perfectionist, put some structure in there, you know, set a time every day to take a, you know, whack at a chapter every day. And, and so it becomes a way that you can help support yourself in moving towards something you want or moving away from behaviors that aren't serving you. So I'd say learn more and then you can either, you know, use it yourself and or get, you know, get a coach or a friend or a therapist or someone to help you if you really want to kind of accelerate your growth. You know, I always, you know, people are at the gym doing all kinds of work, you know, on their bodies, but this is about your, you know, your growth and your development. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of having someone there to, to, to help you along. You. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I can imagine some people who are a little cynical of everything that we're talking about here may say, <clears throat> how much can you re really change? Uh, so I'd like to break this down into two questions for you. One is, in, in, um, when you go through one of these Enneagrams and you, and, and you get your, your type or the, and the types that, you know, the two areas that you kind of go into when you're, when you're struggling and when you're at, at, at peace, um, how much of that do you think is influenced by nature versus nurture? You know, so for example, when I was doing my test, I was, I was born in Northern England and, you know, in a relatively working class background when I was very young and then became kind of a little bit more middle class, uh, as I got a bit older, but then we moved to the South of England and that was a very, very different culture. It sounds weird, but it was a very different culture from the culture that I grew up in, in the North. And then of course, moving to California. So that's a lot of nurture. There's a lot of changes and there's your parents and your friends and all the rest of it um, compared to just the nature. So how much do you think those nature and nurture influences your personality? Yeah, there's a lot of debate about it. I'll tell you personally for me, I think most of it is nurture. And the reason I say that actually sometimes, you know, my coaching sessions, the Enneagram can kind of break my heart because what you start realizing is that underneath it all, what we are all seeking, every one of us as human beings, is to be accepted, to be liked, to feel whole. And so if you look at each one of the Enneagram types, and there's a lot of work on this, you can go back and say, like, what was what was the original wound? And it mostly comes out of your childhood. And some of them can be, you know, capital W wounds, and some of them are smaller. But you know, if you just take like a one, the perfectionist, why, why is it that they are so motivated by getting it right and right and wrong? Well, it's probably because in their early childhood, at some point, they grew up in an environment where it was dangerous, you know, not to be right and or to be wrong. And so there was, a, and, and things were maybe out of control. And so having control and organization was really important survival for them. Or a two, oftentimes twos, they feel like in order to be really loved, they have to love others, that they're inherently not just okay, just being who they are. They have to give and give and give. And there's probably a good reason why. Or a three. To achieve. They may have grown up in a family where, man, you had to get A's and you had to be successful and it was very competitive. And if you didn't, it was survival, you know? And so you can go through the whole Enneagram and look at like what, what had someone really adopt this way of being. And there's almost always a, a really good reason for it. And that's where you can find compassion. Um, yeah. And yeah. So I, I think most of it is actually um, nurture. I um, agree with you. I yeah. mean, <clears throat> It's also interesting, I think, where you, um, as one tiny example here, I remember uh, going to um, 
going and meeting for drinks in England with a guy who I went to, went to school with who was actually a bit of a bully. I never really got bullied when I was at school, but he was kind of mean to people and he, he generally left me alone. Uh, and he reached out to me one time and said, like, I'm really sorry. I was a real, I was a real, you know, a-hole <laughs> to a lot of people <laughs> and I'm going on my apology tour. And he's a lovely guy. Like he really is. And he told me there was a lot of trauma in his family that, you know, was, was certainly causing a lot of that. But what was interesting is that I'd mentioned to like, you know, my wife and various other people that when I was at school, I was a little quiet and kind of reserved in some ways. Um, and I was talking to him about that and he was like, are you crazy? No, you weren't. He said, you talked to everybody, like you were super engaging. And I, I think I had somewhat censored my memory <laughs> of, of, of that. And I'm sure there's all kinds of underlying screws that can be turned to figure out why. But um, it made me realize that your perception of your background and your perception of your life is a massive influencer on your decision to make changes. Um, and, and a lot of that, I think, is going to be nurtured, being around people who can encourage you to speak more openly, to kind of come out of your skin, uh, of your shell a little bit. Um, and it kind of leads to my next question, which is, how changeable do you think people are? Like, if somebody comes in, they do like a, an Enneagram and they and then they come out, for example, as a, let's say they come out as a, as a, as an eight, right? They're a, they're the active controller. Uh, and they're a really, really active controller. <laughs> <laughs> and they, and they want to be maybe a little bit more kind of considerate or they want to be a little bit more creative. How changeable do you think that is? Like, can people make those kinds of changes or do you think we're just hardwired? <laughs> um, I think people can make those kind of changes. You know, whenever I take on a new client, right out of the gates, I'll say to them, look, only work with me if you are willing to take 100% responsibility for yourself and your life and and really want that. Because if you don't, you know, it's fine, but you're not going to change. And so if a person is experiencing either enough pain or has enough openness that they want to evolve and have more of themselves available to themselves and to people around them, then there's an infinite possibility to change. And I often start my, my coaching sessions, I'll take a big white piece of paper and I'll put it in front of the person and I'll say, hey, look, you know, my belief is that we all come into this world like this white piece of paper. It's, it's wide open. And we come in, we don't have any sense of personality or who we are. And are we a bull in a china shop? Or are we a two? Or are we, we don't, we just hear, and we're this white sheet of paper. And little by little, and I start crumpling the paper. First crumple, you know, we're told, "Oh, you can't have a loud voice." And then the next crumple is, um, "Oh, you've got to make sure everyone around you is taken care of, and you've got to be responsible." And the next crumple is, um, "To get what you want in life, you got to really go for it, and don't worry about being a bull in the china shop." And the next, and pretty soon we end up as this crumpled piece of paper. And I show them the paper. And I say, so eventually, and normally it happens for most men and women in about their 40s, often called the midlife crisis. I like to call it the midlife opportunity. We go, <laughs> wow, this feels a little crumpled. I feel a little like I'm confined and my personality has taken me here and there's a lot to celebrate about it, but there's something more calling to me. And the question is then to start uncrumpling that paper and saying, examining like, wow, is that true? Like, do I really have to be quiet? You know, do I really have to be assertive? Do I really? And it, and that's where the process begins until the paper's open again. And now you have all of you available 
And so a person who's a bull in a china shop, I have, believe me, I have had some CEOs and folks who are classicates. No, I bet. Have yeah. had some remarkable, remarkable openings because they're hungry for it and they, they want to take themselves on. And when you have that, anything's possible. I've seen people who, you know, you can't even stand to be in a room with who become magnetic, who people can't, you know, resist. And so, yeah, totally, totally able to change. That's, that's so interesting. Um, what do you, you know, we're obviously right now we're in the midst of COVID-19 and this has had a profound impact on people for lots of different reasons. Um, what have you been seeing, especially when you're with, with your clients in terms of the impact of COVID-19 just on themselves? I mean, obviously it's impacting their businesses and they're having to make difficult decisions like keeping people from home and in some cases having to furlough staff and things like that. But just personally, what are you seeing in these leaders of the impact of it? Because this is pretty, you know, unparalleled. We've never seen anything like this before. So Yeah, it's what a time. My God. Um, you know, I'm seeing a couple of things. The first thing I'm seeing is anyone who's risen to the top and is, you know, a senior leader at a company is kind of built for these times for the most part. And there's a part Mm. where they're actually energized and activated and all their problem solving and the heroics and they get bigger and they can do more and their the incredible responsibility they feel to protect their company and their teams, all of that gets ignited. So I've seen extraordinary acts of leadership in this time, especially in the beginning, just like breathtaking. And now that we're in, what are we in? Five, six months, coming to five months of this. it's beginning to level out. And now people are realizing, okay, the heroics have sort of settled in. We're realizing we're in this for a while. And the conversation is shifting with a lot of leaders to what does it look like to lead in this new environment? And a lot of conversations around resilience. You know, how do I, how do I stay motivated? How do I, you know, we're running a marathon here. How do I keep my energy up? How do I keep my teams excited? How do I keep them connected and hopeful in the middle of all this? Um, so I'm seeing a big shift now to those kinds of questions, um, which, you know, which is understandable. Um, I'd also say there's, you know, there's a level of, uh, realness and rawness that is, uh, is palpable right now with leaders. You know, it's like, there's no time for BS. And so, people are taking themselves on and realizing they, you know, in this world that is throwing us curveballs left and right, they got to figure out how to handle themselves and how to really look at where their blind spots are and how they can lead differently. So I'm seeing a lot more like rawness and vulnerability and realness that, uh, it's gotta be, I mean, it's gotta be a lonely place. I mean, people often say, you know, uh, when you're, when you're on an executive team of a company, it doesn't really matter how big the company is. But it's lonely because um, in many cases, you either have <clears throat> a very small set of peers or no peers at all. Um, and I can only imagine that dealing with that is tough enough, let alone um, dealing with a global pandemic with so many people dependent on you to to um, you know to take care of them, but also to just make them feel comfortable. Um, uh, and And some of these personality types might not necessarily be comfortable to them for being in that in that position. Um, there's been a lot of talk recently, of course, about um, systematic racism and 
you know, people just not having a fair shot of things because of the color of their skin, their gender, their sexuality. Um, wh- what do you see as the role of these kinds of personality assessments for underrepresented groups? Especially, I can imagine, you know, somebody will go through and do the test and then you know, they can listen to a podcast like this and say, okay, you've got to kind of use this as an opportunity for growth and all the rest of it. But when you feel like the system's against you, um, what kind of special extra considerations would you recommend to those folks to achieve those future benefits while being mindful of the fact that they are maybe experiencing some some systematic, you know, um, you know, problems that are going to hold them back? Yeah. I mean, again, just like what a remarkable moment we're sitting in. And uh, all of my clients are just, you know, really in that deep question and looking at their own wiring and looking at, you know, how unconsciously a lot of our companies have been built that support a lot of the, uh, the injustice. And so it's, it is in every conversation I'm in. Um, I think your question was more around if I understand it right, you know, folks who are in some of the underrepresented. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm thinking like if someone's a person of color, for example, and they do the Enneagram and then they come out with their, with their types and they're thinking, okay, I want to make some, I want to make some changes like we all do to our, you know, to optimize my life or my work or whatever it might be. But those folks are going to be dealing with, um, with the elements of, for example, systematic, um, you know, biases and racism and things like that, where me as, you know, incredibly handsome white guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> humble. humble half, half, half humble, yeah. Half of that comment is correct. <laughs> um, but, you know, as a white guy, um, I, I don't face those challenges that, that a person of color is going to experience. So I'm just curious if you would provide any additional guidance to them for how to deal with that side. Yeah, you know, I don't think the Enneagram provides any like specific um, edge. I would any say inside for that. that. Yeah. However, what I would say is, you know, for anyone independent of color, like knowing how you're wired is incredibly powerful, but it's also an inc- amazing tool to use in groups. So oftentimes I'll bring an Enneagram into a group. And so if you're a person of color and you're looking at the systemic way the system is structured, that may be not working in your favor. Also understanding how the people around you are wired and what their personality types are like will both create more understanding on the team, but also give you a better sense of how do I navigate this group? How do I best work with this individual? You know, I may be experiencing them as, you know, if we go back to the eight as incredibly bullish and brutal, but can I see maybe there's something deeper underneath there? Or um, anyway, it becomes an incredible tool to understand the milieu you're working in and and the different personality types and how they interact together. And that's helpful when you're trying to figure that out. Yeah, That's fascinating. Um, This is a a weird segue because I'm going to talk about empathy. And obviously, I don't think we should ever justify anything to do with anyone who supports racism or transphobia or you know, sexism or anything like that, but pulling it away from that particular topic and just talking about empathy in general. I feel like the world um, increasingly in the last couple of years uh, has been demonstrating a lack of empathy towards people with differing viewpoints, right? You only have to see this with whether it's whether it's a political viewpoint 
um, or whether it's people bickering about the PlayStation 5 versus the Xbox Series X. You know, people the, the, increasingly people are forming into into these camps and they're they're forming into teams and they're reluctant to um you know to to understand the other side and i've always find this mind-boggling because this is one of the reasons why speaking personally i've never picked a side because you know just politically for example i'm not a democrat or republican um i i think there are logical viewpoints with both sides and i think there's just complete stupidity in both sides and it's like i don't want to be aligned with either side of them um but I feel like there's the, in recent years, there's been very much a camping out in one side. And what you're sharing here, Catherine, seems to be that it would be really interesting to look at those personality types for the, the, people, the other people in the room to understand them and their drivers. And maybe we can, instead of jumping to conclusions about them, we can actually have a deeper understanding of each other. But that's a complicated thing to do. And I've never seen that really done in general like is that something that you would consider to be very valuable like instead of just an enneagram for example on me but also you know for example getting together with three or four people who i work with where we've all done enneagrams then have a conversation about it and say you know what does this mean what does this mean for our relationship what does this mean for how we understand each other it's got to be valuable right oh my god that's why i actually love this tool it is it it helps people find the common ground so i use it all the time with teams and groups and you know, let me give you an example. You've got, you know, a seven, the Epicure, the one who loves like Ford Ho, let's, let's fun, let's keep it going. And they've got 10 million new ideas and they're paired with a five who's a deep diver data. I want to understand things who like to be subject matter experts. Oftentimes in teams or groups, those people will butt heads. Why do you always want the data? Come on, I can just see, let's just move. Let's go. Right. So <laughs> right. And the five is like, you're nuts. You're not going, you don't, you don't have any subject. And so they, minute they can start seeing like, okay, we're wired differently. And now I understand why we're that way. And now I'm not going to take it personally when this person is asking me for data or this person wants oh, to just go without it. And exactly. so it, it creates yeah. some ease and understanding. And it's done in a way that's a ton of fun. I mean, we laugh all the time when we get in groups and there's fun ways you can do it. Um, but, and then it becomes a, a shared language where you can say like, hey, look, your five is driving me nuts right now, or your seven is, or number one, the perfectionist over there wants us to have a plan for this. And you know, number eight is just going to say, let's just go without one. And so you can start using it as a team or a group. And it's, it builds a lot of deep understanding, super powerful with groups. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. I mean, I just as a tiny wish, and if anyone who's listening to this wants to go out and do this, I think it will be amazing to <clears throat> be able to get together in a number of different settings where there is a common language for what our personality types are. And the Enneagram, I think, is a great tool for that. But obviously, it requires work to go through and fill the questions in and fill out the answers and all the rest of it. But being able to facilitate that, that sh- to me should be a standard part of how we how we engage each other. But it then raises a question, which is the Enneagram could be used as a, t- a tool. It could be weaponized against yes. somebody. Um, yes. What do you think the role of sharing this is? Like, I'm ha- quite happy to share my Enneagram on here. I'm a fairly open book, but also I'm relatively proud of my results. Like it didn't, I didn't read it and cringe uh, quite so much. I mean, there's definitely areas of work, but <laughs> some people may not be proud of those, of those, of those results. And therefore, they don't want yeah. it weaponized against them. Well, here's the thing. 
all nine types, there is no good type, no bad type. They all have their their healthy and their unhealthy aspects in them. So there, it isn't no one should be like, oh, I'm a I'm a two or I'm a terrible, I'm a five. They're all beautiful and they all have their blind spots. Um, however, the thing that I do see is that you know, it's, it can be dangerous to be armed with a little bit of information. And so what happens is people get their type, they do a quick test, and they're like, I'm a two. And then they see everything through that lens. And now they actually have put themselves in a box. And then they start labeling others. Oh, I bet that person's a six. I bet that person is a nine. Oh, I'm sure that person's a four. And there is so much depth underneath the Enneagram as there is under every, every human being that it can become a labeling. And, um, if, if you don't actually spend the time to understand the complexity of it and see that there's much more than, you know, the person's type, it's their, where, where are they in the healthy expression of it, an unhealthy expression? What are they doing in terms of their wings, either side of them? Are they using those lines that we talked about? Are they, where are they embracing other parts of the types that they, they um, have within them? And so it can be a tool that frees people and helps you understand or it can be something that labels or types, and uh, that's where it gets dangerous. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So I know we're coming into the tail end of this. This has been this has been so interesting, Catherine. I just I love your energy here. I love how valuable this is. I, I really really enjoyed uh, when you did this with me, and you went through that call. And uh, it was incredibly eye-opening, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you to come on. And I appreciate you coming on. Where can um, where can people find out more if their if their interest has been you know has been piqued by this? Uh, where should they go to to do one of these tests or to find out more or uh, you know? And where can people find out about what you and your organization does? Yeah, so I would say there are two tests out there that I really love. Uh, the simpler test is the Enneagram Institute. And you can go online and take their test and you'll get your main type. And um, it's it's pretty basic and pretty uh, fun. And the one that's more complex that I had you take is called the Integrative Enneagram 9. And it's the most sophisticated of the Enneagram uh, assessments I've found. I, I love it. And you'll get a very detailed report. Um, I think it's a little more expensive and it takes a little more time, but it's, it's quite comprehensive. Um, and then as far as me, so I um, work with the Trium Group, T-R-I-U-M Group, G-R-O-U-P dot uh, com. And I'm one of the partners there. And you can jump online and see our work and um, and contact me through through our website. Perfect. Well, I know my uh, our mutual friend who uh, has you as a coach is is just more than thrilled with how oh. useful your, your, your counsel has been. So, oh. uh, yeah, that sounds... I, I definitely recommend checking it out, folks, if that's what you're looking for. And yeah, thank you so much, Catherine. It's great to have you on the show and uh, we'll catch up soon. What a pleasure. Thank you, Jono. And I look forward to seeing you soon too. Thank you. Thank you.